It was 1974 when Roger found himself in a place he never dreamed he would be. Standing at the casket of his older brother, Gary, accidentally shot and dead. For Roger, it was a moment he could never forget. Forty years, he would ponder one haunting thought. I never got to tell my brother that I loved him. For Roger, he would find himself moving through life looking for an answer. Haunted over and over again that he could say to his brother, I love you. Eight years ago, Roger found himself diagnosed with kidney disease. His kidneys began to reduce their functionality down to 6%. Roger, during this time, had also married a wonderful girl. And in the celebration of that, no doubt, realized the blessing of having someone to share life with. And yet he would secretly say to his wife, I wish I could have told my brother Gary that I loved him. For his wife, Tammy, she had a brother named Philip. Philip was a pastor. One day, God began to say something to Philip. Philip, it's time for you to pray that Roger would discover the answer to life. And so Philip began to pray and he'd intercede. And one day, he began to hear something so clearly. He began to hear from the Lord that what God intended to do was to heal Roger in such a way that no man could take credit and only God would be glorified over and over again. Philip would pray that prayer. Soon he became good friends with Roger. Roger would find himself disappointed after disappointment, one after the other. One day the phone rang, and on the phone with the doctors, and they said, you've been on the kidney transplant list, and we have one for you. But if you take this kidney, be aware that the person giving it has been using drugs and perhaps you'll find yourself exposed to hepatitis or AIDS. On one side, he began to think, maybe this is the answer to my lifetime prayer that I could live on. On the other side, he began to ponder, is it worth the risk? He walked away from that kidney, realizing that at 6% functionality, he had to deal with the risk of that. Soon, a co-worker would come forward to him, and the co-worker would say to him, I'll give you one of my kidneys so that you can live. But then, when they did the study of the match, they began to discover that the risk factor was there, that in order for that kidney to take, it would require injecting enzymes into him so that his body would not reject it. And then the young lady who had offered her very life was told by the insurance company, if you do this, we can never cover you again. So he turned down a second kidney. His sisters were possibilities to also give him kidneys, but they had little children. And he said, I can never let you risk if this is hereditary, I don't want you to face it as well. So you can imagine for Roger, it was disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. All the time hearing his brother-in-law preacher say to him, God will do something that will absolutely bring glory to himself and no one else will know about it. No one else can take credit for it. Well, you can imagine for Roger, each time he'd go to the doctors, they would say to him, it's time for us to put a port in. But you still have 6% functionality. One day, Philip is at the house with Roger and he begins to say to him, I have to tell you something. I don't believe that God will do what it is he's promised me he would do until you take one step towards him. Just one step. Well, you can imagine those words echoing inside of Roger's mind. Just one step. Well, all of a sudden, Roger finds himself in a night in which he doesn't feel well. He goes to bed. It's only a few weeks ago. He goes to bed, and in the middle of the night, he is awakened with a horrible dream. He has died. And in that death, he sees his family all around him. But he also knows 
he's died without hope because he hasn't taken that first step. Well, you can imagine the next morning, his wife can tell that he's troubled, and she begins to ask him, Roger, what's wrong? Roger, Roger, looking into his wife's eyes, said, I have to tell you about my dream. And you can imagine what his wife felt. No doubt she knew the answer to what that first step would be, which step she would go, which, which step he would go, which step she would take with him. Well, the dream passed on, but the words of his preacher brother-in-law did not. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Roger woke up on a Sunday morning, just like Easter Sunday. For him, it was Easter Sunday. On that Sunday, he got up. He didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell anyone. But he took one step. He walked into a church building. And you may be sitting here saying, you know, people come and go from church. But you don't realize what Roger was facing. Roger was facing life and death. If he took the right step, perhaps God would intervene. And so you can imagine Roger gets back home. His wife asks him, where have you been? I've been to church. Nothing else said. He goes on about his life. Thursday, the phone rings. Three years, three years he's waited for the possibility of a kidney. The phone rings on Thursday after walking into church on Sunday. It's the hospital there in St. Louis. They say to him, we have a kidney, but you're number two on the list. We want you to come immediately to the hospital. They go. He goes to the hospital, but before he goes, he picks up his phone because he remembers what Philip has said. Philip has said, if you take one step towards God, he'll do something that will only glorify him. So he calls Philip and says, you got to go to the hospital with me. So he gets in the car and he drives and meets up with his brother-in-law. And they walk in. They begin to do all the tests. A young, young person has died in St. Louis that day. But two people are going to live out of it. And so they bring the two in. They both have a match. And so they say to both men, you get a kidney and you get a kidney. Well, you can imagine for Roger what he felt. No doubt he remembered that Sunday morning when he walked into God's house. No doubt he remembered the words that were spoken so clearly by his brother-in-law, the preacher who said, just take one step, one step. Well, he got that kidney. But before he went into the hospital or when he, before he went into the surgery room, in that room, there was entire family, sisters, mom and dad, everyone. And then they vacated. And only left in that room were just Philip and his wife Tammy and him on that bed. Philip knew this was the moment to talk about that one step. And Philip introduced Roger to what it would mean to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You see, all of his life he'd been haunted by wanting to say to his brother, I love you. But in that particular morning, he heard God say, I love you. Well, you can imagine he goes in for surgery, the family anxious, anticipating if he'll receive that kidney or if he'll reject it, knowing a 6% functionality. And so as a result, they're all praying. Everyone's walking around praying, rejoicing, rejoicing that Roger has found Jesus, but also wanting him to live. He comes out of surgery. His family comes in. The functionality of that kidney starts immediately. Within four days, he's already home, but he's there at the hospital. And his twin sisters come in to see him after his wife and after Philip and after his parents have seen him. And they walk in, and they both very vibrant believers. They ask him, Roger, do you remember anything about your surgery? Do you remember anything about what happened while you were give, being given life again? You can fathom for a moment. He begins to talk. He said, yes, I remember vividly. He said, when I first began to notice what was going on, I couldn't tell. 
But then, but then, all of a sudden, I realized who was in the room. There were doctors and nurses. And then he said, I looked up and there was my brother Gary. He was standing by my bed. And he said to me, Roger, I love you. You can imagine for the sisters how overwhelming a thought was. For 40 years, the brother forbid them to talk about the dead brother. And now he was celebrating because something had happened. He had taken one step towards God. You see, when you hear that story, you realize something. You may be sitting there pondering, well, was Gary really in the room? Only God and Roger? No. But one thing we do know is when we hear a story like that, we realize something. That every person who has ever lived has the same privilege and opportunity. And that is to take one step towards God and to watch him do what only he can do. And that's what brings us together on this Easter Sunday morning. It brings us into his house with an awareness that we have one simple responsibility in life, and that is to see the truth. And so today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 1. It's a place where Paul addresses people who have absolutely been blessed with affluence. They've been blessed with education. They are gifted and skilled. They're talented people. In fact, the Ephesians were those who stood at the crossroads of all commerce. They were the mega city of their day. They were the people who absolutely had the best of best. And yet, as Paul writes his letter, he brings to light a great and important thought. And that is, if you don't see the truth, then you miss the best of life. So we begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1. And as we read this text, listen carefully, because what you'll discover is, is that he prays a particular prayer. And the prayer is that their eyes might be enlightened, that they might see the truth. And it is my prayer, even early this morning and late last night, that whoever would come into his house on this day and walk into One Heart Church, that they would realize something, that if you see the truth and you take one step towards God, I promise you this, he will do something that will glorify himself. We begin reading in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And watch this prayer, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about, watch this verse, don't miss it, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Read that again. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, one heart church, every church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. He is all in all. When you read this, you really realize something. Here's a letter in which he writes to people, and he says something very distinctive. He says, I pray that all of a sudden the light will come on, and you will see what it is that I have for you. And today on this Easter Sunday, it is my prayer, whether you're in the balcony or whether you're down here on the main floor, 
that we would all come away from church realizing something. And that is that our eyes would be enlightened to what it is that God has for us. I want to ask you a couple questions today as you think about Easter Sunday morning. If someone walked up to you and they said to you, I hope you get rich someday, what would you say? You see, oftentimes people will say, say things to us and we wonder and ponder what they mean. But in this particular text, Paul addresses richness that money can't buy. We'll look at it in just a moment. If someone walked up to you and said to you, someday you'll be great, they say to you very clearly, someday you'll be great, how would you respond? Would you say, you know, I could never be great. I'm too humble. Would you, would you say, what is greatness about? And what you discover very quickly is this. There are some parallels that Paul tries to bring to light on this Easter Sunday as we look at what it means that Jesus has come out of the grave. And let me just say to you unequivocally, without question, if there's one thing that we can validate by the witness of the presence of God at work in our lives, and that is this. He did come out of that grave because without him, we would not have life. Without him, we would not have focus. Without him, we would not have purpose. Without him, we would not have meaning. You see, the truth of the matter is that that cross on Friday opened the door to an empty grave on Sunday. And what you and I need to see on this Easter Sunday is this. We need to see the truth. And the truth is that Jesus sets us free. Jesus gives us the opportunity to experience life the way only he intended for us to have it. And when I think about that and I think about each one of us, it all comes back to Roger's moment. He took one step. He didn't know everything else. He didn't know every turn. Reading his sister's words to me last night, in summarizing the amazing story that I just heard this week, she said these words, Roger went in the hospital for a kidney, and he came out with a new heart. Imagine that for a moment. She said, my brother's not the same person. And it's not because he has functionality in a kidney. It's because he has functionality in his heart. And so today I want you to think about your heart. I want to ask you when you think about your own heart, what do you see? You see, Luke records something really amazing. In the 24th chapter, he records these powerful words spoken to remind everyone of what Easter is about. In fact, when you read them, it says just this. He is not here, but he has risen. Don't you love those words? He's not here, but he's risen. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you depended on your ability. Maybe you depended on your skills. And you sit here in church today realizing, I need to take that first step. I need to step toward what it is God has for me. Today, as we look inside of God's Word, I want to show you three distinctive things that are the keys to understanding what unlocks our hearts by taking that simple step. And what you'll discover is that in every life, there has to be a basis of truth. How do we arrive at what it means to actually know what it is God has for us? And when we come to understanding the basis of truth, then we understand that the only, the only way we can gather insight into that truth is to understand the cross, and we'll see the impact of the cross. I think about it in this room. Two weeks ago, I was, I was sitting out in the foyer, and somebody walked up to me and asked me about a young man who was baptized just a few years ago, who stood, and no doubt, by himself against his entire family to stand out in truth. He took one step. And he asked me about him. I wrote his name down because I thought I've got to check on him. Now off at college. Now moving forward with his life. Easter Sunday morning, I took one step into the foyer. And I looked up and there was that young man. And I was reminded, I was reminded that because of the cross, that young man, he may be a student at Auburn, but he is a child of God. And he made a choice to step into God's best for his life. And how I thank God that he's in his house on this day. And what you discover is when you understand the cross, 
then you come to this place where all of a sudden you get to see God's big plan. Because what you find in these few short verses is that for every one of us, if we understand truth and we understand the cross, then we can see what it is God's plan for our life. So I want you to look at it carefully with me, and I want to show you very quickly on this Easter Sunday morning, because I really want you to walk out of church with one distinctive thought. One step towards God changes everything. One step. You see, Roger didn't want his family to know he was stepping towards God, but God knew it. And it may be you're here today, and you realize something. That one step changes everything. It just takes one. So let's look at it, if we could, and see if we can understand. Verse 15 through verse 17. Notice what he says here in, in chapter 1. For this reason, in other words, this is why I'm talking to you. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks to you, for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. When you read this, you realize it's just two distinctive things that he identifies. And that is, for each one of them, they had a, love, a faith that was absolutely amazing. Notice how he says in verse 15, I, I find myself writing to you because I've heard of your faith. A couple of weeks ago, I got a note from somebody from a faraway land, and they, they wrote me the note. And they, said, I wanna, I wanna, they sent me a picture of a person and said, I want you to see this lady. She doesn't have anything on earth, but she's the richest woman I've ever known. She will never possess anything of value, but she is priceless. I began to ponder and look at that picture. It was a poor lady from Hungary. And as I look at the picture, I thought to myself, this is a story of richness because this is a story of faith. It's interesting what the, the friend said. This woman is a woman of faith, but she also loves me. And what I want you to see today is he identifies here that in order to have an understanding of faith, it demands that we understand lordship and liberty, that we understand that Jesus becomes everything to us and he gives us freedom in that. Because what relationship to Jesus does is it gives us the opportunity to believe. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please him because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to imagine for a moment you're sitting in church today and you think about, wait a minute, now if I give my life to Jesus, then that means that he is Lord of all. But not just Lord of all, but that he will express his love to me and allow me to experience his love. You may be here and you may, you may have hit some curves in the road of life that cause you to ponder which way you can turn. Turning towards Jesus, would it do something for you? Would it help you? Could you take that first step like Roger? Well, for the Ephesians, the Ephesians, they had everything, but they found something better than everything. And listen carefully. When you find Jesus as Lord, and when you find the liberty that comes in the name of Jesus, you have something money could never buy. And that's why he writes to the Ephesians in such a powerful way. But he doesn't just talk about their faith. He also talks about their love and how that love unfolds. Latter part of verse 15 says, Your love for all the saints, we can't quit thanking God for you because we know that he is going to reveal himself to you. In fact, when you look at this verse, he talks about the revelation that comes in the knowledge of him. And what he's really saying here is this. When you come to the place that you take that first step, when he comes into your life, there is this transformation that's totally amazing. Perhaps you're here and you recall that. You have vivid memories of it. I was blessed before the service today to hug a couple grandparents who were walking in who have a new little grandbaby. And in visiting with them, it reminded me of the transformation that occurs when new life is brought into our hearts. And I'm going to tell you what Paul's saying here. He's saying that the basis of us understanding truth is connected to our understanding of faith 
and love. We must believe because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We must believe, but as we believe, we begin to understand his love. And I want to say to you without question, in a day and time in which people struggle to find love, there is a love that surpasses understanding. And it is the love of God that would look into your heart and say to you, you may have been hurt in the past, but I'll heal you. You may be overwhelmed in the present, but I'll be there as your answer. You may find yourself struggling with something, not knowing which way to turn, and all of a sudden, he becomes everything to you. You see, if you're here today and you want to know the basis of truth, the truth is this. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But it gets better because not only does he give it the basis of truth, but then he begins to talk about the impact of the cross. Look at it with me if you would. Notice beginning in verse 18, he prays this prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? When you read this, he goes on to talk about the surpassing greatness of his power in verse 19. Towards us who, what? Believe. These are in accordance with the work of the strength of his might. When you read this, you realize that it's here that he begins to identify three distinctive things that connect us to the cross that help us understand on Easter Sunday morning what happened to Roger in that hospital bed when that brother-in-law said to him, it is a choice you make, it is a cross you connect to, it is a life that you experience that can change everything about you. Something happened inside of him. And he experienced the hope of his calling, the richness of the greatness of God. He experienced everything that Paul identifies here because what he does, he says, if you're going to experience what life's about, you got to get it the way God gives it. And what he does here is he, he says, I'm praying that all of a sudden the light will go off every Sunday morning. I always pray for the light switch to go on in somebody's heart and life. Every Sunday morning I think about what it'd be like to live without Jesus. I was reading a study that was done that, uh, that took a, a survey of, of the people who live in America and asked the question, will you go to church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday? And it's, it's amazing how many people made the choice and said, I would definitely not go to church on Easter. As I read that study, I realized, you know what they were saying? I'd rather light be off. I'd rather be completely dark than experience what it means to live in the light. And let me tell you what the cross did. The cross, the cross gave us the opportunity to see light. And so let's talk about the impact of the cross. Let's just see three things about it. First of all, you notice he talks about your calling. He said, I pray your eyes would be open so that you could see what it is that is the hope of your calling. And when you, when you read that, you realize something. That he says that when the phone rings, it's a call that's anchored in hope. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get calls from the unknown numbers. You ever had one of those? And what is your first response to an unknown number? You hit the red button, don't you? Because you realize it's either a bill collector or somebody you don't want to talk to. Because if you know them, you'll pick that phone up, won't you? What happens sometimes is all of a sudden it's an unknown call, but it's coming straight from God. It's a circumstance you can't control. It's a pain that paralyzes you. It's a situation you need an answer to. It's a hurt that you know that fills a vacuum inside of you. You don't know which way to turn. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, that unknown phone number rings, and it's the hope of his calling, God's calling. Perhaps you found yourself in that valley, in that valley of shadow. I can remember a moment when our son was dying. Choices he had made that were destroying his very body. I can remember holding him, realizing, as I left him in a place for care, I might never see him again. I remember getting in my car, tears rolling down my face, and then being reminded of the hope of his calling. I remember the day that little boy gave his heart to Jesus. I remember the day 
he so proudly carried his Bible. He'd made a choice to set his Bible aside and his faith on the shelf. The light was not on very bright. It was just a dim flitter. But I knew as long as the light burned, something could happen. Today on Sunday morning, that same boy is worshiping at Redeemer Church in New York City. And I think about the difference that what a few years matter, what difference there is there. Because here I want to tell you, no matter how flickering your light is or whether the light's ever been turned on, it may be you're here. You've never encountered what it means to know Christ. You may be sitting here going, you know what, I don't want this. What do you mean this calling? What does that mean? Watch this carefully. The very reason you were born was he was going to call your name. He knew who you were. The Bible says you, he knew who you, you were before you ever were formed in your mother's womb. He knows the intent of every thought you'll ever have. You're sitting in church today, and you may be sitting there going, you don't know me. I've made a lot of bad choices. You don't know me. I can do it on my own. You don't know me. I don't have to know you. He does. And not only does he know you, he loves you. And what Paul said here is, I pray the light goes on and you see what is the hope of your calling. God knows you. And what you discover very quickly is, not only does he say that I want you to understand what it means to be anchored in hope, this call that you have, but look on in verse 18 because he uses a very unique uh, transition of words. The latter part of that verse, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And it's interesting what he does here because here's what he says. There's a blessing of true riches that money can't buy. That God has something for you that money could never pay for. And what he says is, this is the richness. Watch this. It's the richness of his presence. It's the power of his peace. It's the distinctive awareness that God's with you every moment. If you're sitting here today, maybe you think you're all alone. Maybe you find yourself overwhelmed by something. Maybe you find yourself on top shelf. You got your promotion. You got everything going for you. You got more money than you ever dreamed you'd have. You got blessings coming your way. And then you sit in church and go, wait, wait, wait. The pastor said that's not riches. The pastor said the real riches are what he, he called. In fact, he uses the word inheritance. Inheritance. And let me tell you what you discover. When you inherit something, nobody can take it away from you because it is given to you, distinctly given to you by your name. By your name. I have a friend who whose mother passed away just a couple weeks ago. And they put the mom's house up for sale. They're four sisters. They all get one-fourth of the house. This week, in visiting with her, I asked her what she felt. She said it's the most bizarre feeling because I'd much rather have my mom in that poor little house than to be rich a little bit more with the money that my mother left us in that house. And I'm going to tell you what Paul says here. If you gain the whole world, this is what Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, you've lost everything. And I am here to declare to you today that this is not Easter Sunday make you feel good Sunday. This is Easter Sunday to help you be aware that there is accounting coming for every one of us. And if we want to be rich, we want to be rich in the right things. We want to be rich in the grace of God. We want to be rich in the peace of God. We want to be rich in the power of God at work in our life. And what he does here is he says one other thing. He says, first of all, you have the chance to be able to experience what hope's about your calling. But you also get to experience what true riches is about. And then he finally says one other aspect of it. Look at it if you would, verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, I want you to get this for a second. I don't know if you've ever driven a car that really can drive fast. But a few years ago, I was with a guy who, who owned a very expensive car. And he said, hey, you want to ride with me one time? And, of course, you know, me being adventurous as I am, I said, yeah, let's go. We got in a car. I never dreamed it would go that fast. 
It, it had power that I never dreamed of. It scared me to death. I mean, and it, and it wasn't like he wanted to stop on anything. Everything he came up with, he passed. He even ran stop signs and stoplights. You can imagine my feeling. My feeling of, am I going to live through this? Well, I did live through it. You can see, can't you? I lived through that experience. I was changed as a result of it, though. Because what I discovered is this. The only power you really want to unleash is the power of God at work in your life. Because somebody can drive any car at any speed. It's interesting, that same driver, you saw him a few weeks ago. I saw him. He asked me, you want to go for a ride? <laughs> I looked at him and said, absolutely not. One ride with you is enough for a lifetime. And it's interesting what he said. He'd been betrayed by his best friend. He had been stomped on by those who claimed the name of Jesus. His life was shattered. And he said to me, I wanted to come and see you today to tell you one thing. You're the only friend who didn't walk away. And how I thank God for that. And as he said those words, I thought to myself, you know what? We live in a day where everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs somebody who believes in him. And I want to say to you without reservation that you are looking at a pastor who not only wants to be your friend, but believes in the best friend in the world, and that's Jesus. This unleashing power that he talks about here, when you look at it, he uses, he uses this word power. You know where we get, where we get, what word we get from this original language? Dynamite. Dynamite. So look at chapter 3 just for a second. Look at verse 20. I want to show you he uses this word twice in this text because I want you to understand that if you're at church today, he has the power to change everything about you. You may be facing economic uncertainty. He can change that. You may be facing emotional turmoil. He can change that. You may be facing relational dynamics you never dreamed you'd face. He can change that. You may even feel hopeless. But notice what he says in verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him... And don't, you, can't, you have to underline this phrase, who is able, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Same word. Now think about this for a second. Here's what it really said. This God who knows more than you ask or even think is going to blow up in your world and show you that he can meet you at the point of every need you ever have. Don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that what can blow up inside of you is a faith that is real, a life that's transformed, and a heart that will never be the same. When you look at this, you realize that this is a place where Paul ends his entire letter related to this whole idea of seeing the truth by encountering God's big plan. And I just want you to see it quickly, what happened. Because he goes on in verse 19 and says in the latter part of that verse, these are in accordance with the work of the strength of his might. What does he say here? There's a supernatural strength that only God can give. That he can give you hope beyond hopelessness. He can give you power beyond powerlessness. He can give you love even though you feel unloved. Look on though. Verse 20. He goes on to say, Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I was reading an interesting article last night because at the resurrection people write a lot of different things. And the article addressed one simple thing. And it addressed the whole issue of Jesus coming out of that grave. Because people try to argue different things. And I'm going to tell you, say this to you unequivocally without any question, without any reservation. Not only did he come out of the grave, but Paul records it this way. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He knows exactly where he is. And he's ever interceding for you and me. Indisputable proof. Witnessed by hundreds. Encountered by those who love him the most. Even those who at one point were hopeless. Who had been caught up by the world. And then found Jesus. They saw him as well. Not only was there indisputable proof, but you also see 
that he says very clearly in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's what you discover about Jesus. He's a complete authority. His big plan was not for you to be in charge or me to be in charge, but for him to be in charge. And I can tell you that Jesus is in charge. You may be sitting there thinking, you know, I got the answer to everything. No, you don't. You may be thinking, man, if I can just figure this deal out, let me tell you who holds the keys to life and death. It's the one who knew you, who loves you beyond what you can imagine. And when you look at this passage, you realize he's the final answer. Look, if you would, that final verse, which in his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Today, I ask you a simple question. Do you see the truth? Roger, Roger has a new lease on life. He has a new kidney and a new heart. It may be that you're here today and you don't need a new kidney. Yours functions just fine, but your heart, it trembles. It trembles because you realize doing it your way didn't work. And you sit in church today and you go, you know what? I know I need something different. I know I need what it is God has for me. And you see, you may ask yourself, how do I find that? You find it by surrendering yourself to him. And in the moments in which we've gathered here, we come to a moment in which we invite you to see the truth. Because the truth will set you free. Jesus said it that way on purpose. Because once you discover who he is, you'll see how he works. And once you see how he works, something begins to happen inside of your life. So I want to invite you today, on this Easter Sunday, a day you can never forget, if you've never given your heart to Christ, maybe you're just like Roger. Yes, you are laying on a hospital bed, but it's not a bed that has nurses around you. There's only one person around you, and it's God saying, come home. Perhaps you're here and you realize something. You beat around the bush for months about becoming a part of a family that could change the world. And today, the Lord's saying to you, become a part of one heart. Whatever it is you hear God saying, We're going to take a moment because we're going to sing a song that speaks to the essence of everything we just looked at, and it's this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we come in your house on this day, and we testify to your goodness. We've experienced your greatness. And for any man or woman, boy or girl that's here that needs to give their heart to you, I ask you to do it this day to touch their lives and speak to their hearts. It's Easter. He is risen. The grave is empty. And our hearts are full because we have seen what Paul said, that our heart and our eyes would be enlightened to the truth. Lord, as we respond to you, bless us. For that young man or young woman who's here who's wondering, is this the day? Right on their hearts, beyond, beyond what they ask or think according to the power of God. Let them take action. For someone who's here, as a couple, realize they need a home. As a family, they need a home. I ask you to stir their hearts and bless them as they respond. Lord, we give this invitation to you, and we ask you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.